Hello everyone, welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I wanted to create a place where people can go to to get inspired, get motivated, or find some clarity and get tools to create a radically loved life. I will do my best to provide information on a variety of subjects, including yoga, holistic health, life coaching, spirituality, meditation, and overall mindful living. Each episode will bring you some of the world's best spiritual leaders, entrepreneurs, yoga teachers, coaches, along with some of my closest friends, and we will talk about their life experiences and journeys to create something more out of their lives and how they continue to grow to make that happen. Thanks for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Radically Loved Radio. I am joined by a very special guest today, and I am excited to have a conversation because I've been wanting to have somebody on the podcast with this man's level of expertise. Darcy Stubbings is in the house. I don't have my clap track, but let's do a clap track. You, um, Darcy, I... I know that we have a similar journey with anxiety, depression, and uh, uh, I'm going to call mine addictive tendencies. So I am, I, right. I've not had anybody on the podcast in a while where we actually talked about these things. And I, I, the reason why I wanted to talk to you uh, for this season was because we had a tumultuous year last year. And thankfully we're in a new, I keep saying new year, same me, but I really feel <laughs> like this conversation of mental health has been so, um, I don't know some people are like, it's been talked about too much. I don't feel like I've talked about it enough on the podcast. Um, you also have a background in physical health. Um, so can you tell the audience a little bit about you and who you are? Sure. Thank you so much as well for having me on your show. I'm super stoked to have this chat because this is, you know, one of the most close things that I hold to my heart um, in that, you know, my own story with uh, mental health challenges, anxiety, depression, I would definitely call what I, um, I, I went through addiction uh, primarily in the form of marijuana and to a certain extent alcohol, but the reason why I hold it so close to my heart is because for so long, uh, some of these choices in my life um, really did block my heart. And, um, you know, I, I really believe that the opposite of addiction is not necessarily sobriety, um, although it certainly helps, but it is a deep loving connection with yourself. And through that, uh, the world around, you know, just that innate sacredness, um, whatever you want to call that, you know, I've grown up in a Western Australian context where God was regularly used as the word, but through my experience as a physiotherapist, um, so similar to in America, the physical therapist role, but also in about six years now of study in yoga and sharing yoga through vinyasa and yin and meditation classes in Australia, I guess my understanding, um, not only intellectually, but viscerally, you know, just the feeling of aliveness, um, it certainly now goes without name really for me. I just, through many different uh, activities, experiences, relationships in my life, have realized that that connection to that sacredness, that aliveness is what I really wanna feel and, and to help others experience every day. 
So the biggest challenge of my life, without a doubt, um, was, you know, the mental health, uh, I guess, states of mind, states of belief, the behaviors that led to me feeling the need to numb, uh, mm. depress, um, which, you know, depression, kind of the root word depress means to push down. So I was pushing down for so long um, the emotions that were trying to ri- arise. And I guess the challenge with our modern day society is we have so much that we can use as a metaphorical band-aid, um, yes. not only substances, but everything from technology to relationships, to social sports, media. to social media, to entertainment, yeah. you know, name, name your band-aid. Um, it'll fit for a little while, but then it's going to be bursting at the seams because what really wants to arise is your true nature. And that's not always fluffy and light as I have found at times in various circles, that's the only thing emphasized. Often it's diving into that darkness um, and unconditionally loving the experience that you're having, forgiving yourself for whatever you feel shameful about, um, communicating that with yourself and with the loved ones that you have around. Like that's paramount to, yeah, really getting that connection to that sacredness. So. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's that's been a long so, journey. Yeah. I mean, I can imagine. And again, it's like, I really feel like your journey definitely parallels my own. And so this whole experience of going into the discomfort of the things that are making you unhappy or, or feeling disconnected. And I love what you said about, um, these tendencies, you know, I, I used to say that anxiety is, uh, the fear of, of uncertainty, you know, it's like the not knowing, not Mm, knowing what is going to happen, not, not having a, the security. And for me, that's, uh, I lived in my sympathetic nervous system, basically my, the first 15 years of my entire life. So going through an experience where you are in that state of fight or flight, fight, flight, or freeze, um, Mm. And not because I think that that one thing that I want to clarify just with saying that is you don't have to have grown up in a terrible environment like I did to to be in that state. I know plenty of people who just grew up in that exalted state because of whatever circumstances they were living in. But I think not having the tools to connect yourself back to your heart and to the light and to who and what you really are can be extremely debilitating for people. And I, I'm not a fan of the spiritual bypass that you're talking about when you're like, people are just like, oh, let's just focus, just turn it around and focus on the good stuff or cultivate more compassion yeah. for that person that did this. And it's like, yeah, that's all good, but I'm still allowed to have my feelings as well. I'm still allowed mm. to have my experience. And the problem with substances, in my opinion, is that they dull and they numb you from actually feeling, you know, the, the, the experience that you need to experience in order to learn from it, you know? Yeah. What do you think about Without that? Without a doubt. Yeah. That's some, some powerful stuff there. Um, I'm completely on board. I think that, um, you know, to truly experience life in its fullness, you have to open yourself to its fullness. And, you know, in a society that is based around a reductionistic view, um, we are individuals um, and our, even our 
you know, medical system, um, which I've been trained in over seven years of a medical science degree and doctor of physiotherapy, most of it is around asking the question, what's wrong and what can we do? Um, mm. It's not why, why is this person in pain? You know, even with the addiction, we, we often ask why the addiction, not why the pain and the addiction mm. um, in my own personal experience is it's been at many times, you know, what I've described as like a beautiful warm hug. And I've never, I've, I've, I've explored a lot of different drugs in my life. Um, <laughs> and, you know, I'll say that not as, not as a trophy in any means, it's often a, uh, reaching out for help, um, that I've, that I've, that I've experienced. But, you know, I think a lot of people who, uh, lean on a crutch of vice, um, like I like to call it like a drug or alcohol or gambling or a sexual addiction or whatever it is, it fills a void that they're not willing to sit in and, you know, to sit, to meditate, to contemplate, to allow things to arise, to have an unconditionally loving, network of of family and friends of community that can help support you is paramount and like you say um you know I've, I've heard a lot about your story and to have a challenging uh childhood can indefinitely lead to this and in, in you know most um heavy addictions uh, like have an element of childhood trauma um oh, yeah. in in many different fashions and but like you say as well even if you've had you know, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the first few rungs, if you've had them kind of catered for and you've grown up in a uh, quite well-to-do family, or even if, you know, me as a white male, like I am, you know, I am privileged just to be a white male. And I, it's not something that I, again, hold as a trophy. It's unfortunate that in our society, that is a step up from the beginning. And, you know, I have unconscious biases that are programmed into me just from being born as a white male. And part of my role and my quest is to unravel all of that shit, so to speak, and to just show up and be the most compassionate and loving version of myself. To get to that point, it was like dragging myself through the mud though, when, you know, for whatever reason, and I, I, I could go into that, but it might be a much longer conversation. Um, you know, I felt the need to numb and, well, you can't when just I, say that I and then not, on, and then you, you can't just start that and then not tell <laughs> us, like, you got to give us an example. Well, I mean, perhaps a great example um, that perhaps some, uh, you know, men who identify as men in your audience or even uh, women who have identified as women and or anyone really who identifies as anyone, but who have identified their personality around uh, sport or competition. Um, that is something that I define myself on as a, as a kid. And, you know, part of an Australian society was to be great at sport and you were heralded as a, as a champion, as a hero, um, you know, which is such a, a, a far leap from Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey. You know, it's yeah. not the person that goes through the struggle. It's the person right. that scores the most touchdowns, like score those touchdowns and you're a champion. And, you know, even though I love watching sport and I enjoy participating in sport, I defined myself through my athletic prowess when I was younger and I wasn't the best of the best, but it certainly made me feel like I was okay in life. Like I was supported, like I was needed, like I was seen. And I, I suffered a broken leg, um, which, you know, it's just a physical injury, but it was quite 
a bad break and um you know a year later or so i had a shoulder surgery which was a reconstruction and then a year later i had an acl tear which is normally considered a career-ending injury these days uh, the medical field is able to get folks back on the field but i had three injuries in quick succession that took away my ability to move freely and movement mm. felt so um meaningful to me uh not only because it connected my mind and my body but it allowed the medium for a spiritual awareness to develop a spiritual connection like i said a little earlier beyond the word of god um although i like you know speaking to people about god as well but just that deep visceral sense that i am you know one little droplet in the ocean and it felt amazing to feel into that the physical injury and then the chronic pain that resulted um in my knee and hip and back and you know i was on my rehab every single day but i still struggled physically for quite a while which then became you know a consistent low mood um and it really just allowed the band-aid that i was using which was to identify as a competitive athlete uh i didn't have that anymore so what arose was this little scared boy um who never really was able to express his emotions who never really in a society where you know i think it's certainly improving in our generation um but certainly in previous generations you know you you just you know copped it and you certainly yeah. didn't speak about it particularly in australian australian context so yeah it was physical injury that led to mental challenge that led to the unearthing of a lot of deep seated insecurities and beliefs about myself that were self sabotaging oh. and not self serving so for someone who didn't have the skills to feel that and to express it um at least at that time the easiest thing to do was whatever on even society suggests is okay to drink to go out yeah. and uh you know smoke a joint every now and then and it's very easy for that those feelings which obviously initially feel very good you're not in a anxious headspace um you feel less inhibitions you are more confident you know if yeah. you're talking about cocaine or i've never tried heroin but heroin has been described as a warm hug the challenge with addiction is that it initially feels like you have solved the problem yeah. and as i'm sure you know um yeah that's not the case yeah, i don't no. know how, what's your experience with with that that whole oh, situation oh man darcy that is such a great question and i can so relate with everything that you're saying and especially with the uh relation to numbing. Um, I, I come from a family of alcoholics and addicts. So I, mm. I knew about addiction as a child. Uh, I had a lot of family members in and out of AA, um, mm. court mandated, of course, uh, that, right. so I, I would go into these rooms and see all these people who, who had been struggling, seemingly doing well. And, to see just my family go back to using like, so I, there was this huge cognitive dissonance in within me about what addiction was and what it looked like. Uh, I knew that I was around people that use that, that abused substances. So I understood what that meant as well. Uh, I think for me having the same experience in high school and, um, you know, I started drinking at a very, I won't even say how young I was because mm. I was too young to be drinking and, uh, you know, smoking pot, of course. And I had a, a really bad experience that 
landed me in the hospital. That was a little bit of a wake up call for me. And then by the time I was probably about 19, 20, I was already in the throat, in the throats. I was already in the, in the deep warm hug of yoga and meditation. And so I Mm. decided that I, I didn't want to I didn't want to drink anymore. Um, I was still using other ways to numb. I was um, <clears throat> struggling with a, a eating disorder. You know, it's like you find different ways to feed the beast, so to speak. Uh, you find yep. different ways to numb. So for me, it it was never. It wasn't uh, necessarily. I had a substance abuse issue. I I never liked alcohol. I never have. Uh, I did when I was like a teenager. But as I grew older, I think just because of what I saw and, and being in that experience, I never, I never enjoyed drinking. Like that's just, that was never a thing for me. Uh, I didn't get what the point was. I didn't like the way it made me feel. And I didn't like the way that really intoxicated people acted around me because it just, I didn't like it. So, but the issue for me was uh, sugar addiction and mm. emotional eating. Like, so for me, food was my coping. Like, that's what I used. Oh, I didn't feel good. I would grab the the pint of ice cream and I would eat it. And then I'd be like, oh, I want something else. And I want something else. And I want something else. And well, now I'm lethargic. Now I want something else. And so that was a, a huge issue for me um, that I still, I mean, I, I still struggle with the, the tendency to, to numb with food. Um, even with all the tools that I have and I'm almost 40 years old, you know, and I still go through these experiences. So I can absolutely relate to what you're saying about being in that state. And I think one of the things that I recognize within myself, and I'm curious as, as a, a, a doctor of physical therapy, what, what you think mm-hmm. about this when people the self-sabotage that happens. Like I could be in a really, in a really great space, especially at the beginning of the year, I have all the best intentions. And I know I've done all of the tests. I've done all of the things. I'm an acupuncture fanatic. I do all the herbs. I take all the supplements. I'm like super health centric, but then when I'm not, I'm not, (laughs) you know, like when I'm not, I'm not. So I do my best with, with what I can, but I find in those moments and maybe the people listening, maybe all of you guys listening right now can relate to this, but when I'm bored, when I have Hmm. idle time or when I'm not getting the result that I want it, that's when I usually self-sabotage. That's when I'll go for the donuts and, or I'll go for the pizza or I'll make pizza or I'll make some pasta and, nothing's wrong with any of those foods, except if you just eat until you have a stomach ache. And like, I don't have that thing where it alerts your body. You're full when I'm feeling that way. Yeah. It's just like, I'll just keep, keep putting stuff in, you know, that that's see I now. completely, I completely relate. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, yeah, I, I completely relate to the eating as well. I've, I've certainly had my, um, yeah, consistent periods of eating to feel better. Um, I mean, to bring it back and uh, just shed light on, you know, perhaps why we fall into these patterns so regularly. um, I think you've got to look at that concept of the impartial observer or the mindful uh, witness or, you know, Eckhart Tolle is like 
talking about the witness consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so easy to be caught up in how our brain and our body perceives the world around through our five senses, um, through our past con- like conceptualizations of who we are, um, of what makes us feel better. Um, you know, even all of the imprints society has put on us, most of which are in the first seven years of our life. And you could go into attachment theory when you're younger, you know, um, the need to, so it could go anywhere, but I feel like, um, you know, given, uh, my research into, and I haven't yet experienced an anonymous group. I, um, was super blessed to have the unconditional love of my fiance, Casey, who just time and time again showed up for me when I wasn't showing up for myself, I wasn't showing up for our relationship Mm. and just absolute love and respect and uh, kudos to her who I'm super, super blessed to be, you know, embarking on the rest of my life with. But, you know, I feel like um, I was super lucky to have people around me who just showered me with unconditional love and that constant um, feeling of being seen, being heard, uh, was my stepping stone to then work on things that I've been sharing for quite a long time as a yoga teacher and as a physiotherapist, um, like you know the ability of meditation to create that impartial, compassionate perspective. And I like to call it the bird's eye view perspective mm-hmm. because it just feels nice to look down on, um, not in a negative way, but just to look uh, down on all of your behaviors, um, even in the moment as much as you can. So when you're going for the food or when you're thinking about uh, smoking the joint, you know, um, there are a number of other really helpful psychological, psychological techniques, but I think they're grounded in the ability to get bird's eye view and to be compassionate with yourself and to witness what is going on um, almost as if you're watching a movie and you're, you know, just uh, empathizing with the characters who, who, who is you and, 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 uh, you know, you, there are all kinds of things coming to my mind right, right now. Like meta meditation is such a beautiful yes. type of meditation where you, you know, traditionally connect with other people and try and take away their suffering. But I really like the concept of connecting with past, uh, past kind of expressions of your own self. Mm. So for instance, you know, taking away the suffering of the little boy um, that never felt that he was cool enough in the playground uh, uh. or taking away the suffering of the, you know, 22 year old who up until that point had only just started developing confidence because I could kick a football quite a far away. Um, but then had that stripped away, you know, just being so forgiving and compassionate with yourself, developing that bird's eye view. And then from that place, there are a number of, you know, helpful techniques, which consist of obviously having that accountability of a group. If you're, um, if you have experience with Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous, I think that's such an incredible place to connect with people who are going through a similar story of suffering. Um, I, I do think that there's a difference between uh, sobriety and abstinence. Um, some uh, anonymous groups, from what I understand, focus a little bit more on abstaining from something, which is obviously going to build that neurological power and those behavioral habits longer term. However, I feel that to create um, a, a life of sobriety, um, which I'm super blessed to say I now am walking through and really enjoying more so than I have enjoyed the best rolled joint that I've ever rolled in my life. Um, and, you know, the difference between running away from something that was, you know, 
numbing and, and creating these shackles in your life compared yeah. to being super stoked about stepping into a new life without those things. I feel is that ability to develop that compassionate inquiry within um, as well as having, you know, I mean, the, there's a fantastic uh, approach to healing OCD. Um, Jeffrey Schwartzer, he's a, a professor of psychiatry at the UCLA um, university here in California. And he talks about four steps, um, which I think is super helpful as well in, in uh, essentially uh, relabeling. So, you, you know, I've heard a lot of myself and my friends and community call drugs a tool. You know, see people say, I, I smoke a, a joint at night because it's, it's a tool to help me go to bed or it's a medicine or, you know, I'm not here to badmouth marijuana or whatever ever other decision someone makes. I just know from my perspective, from my research, from my experience with over a thousand clients now, primarily musculoskeletal, but a lot of chronic pain, a lot of heavy addiction mm. that, you know, it's not about why the addiction, it's about why the pain. And if we're focusing on abstaining from the addiction and never asking, well, how is your child? How is your childhood? How did you feel about yourself? Did you feel safe? Did you feel loved? Was that expressed? Was, was that spoken about at home? You know, how do you feel now? Um, do you talk down to yourself? What do you say to yourself uh, that's negative? Like, do you believe that you have gifts and something to share? Are you accessing them? Are you spending time creating? Are you, are you embracing your creativity, your innate creativity? Are you moving mindfully? Do you love movement? Like, do you, do you love sitting still? Are you able to uh, feel calm and comfortable mm. still in the mind? And, you know, all of these questions are never asked in in society, and you think of even autoimmune diseases, you know, I believe in America, a study about 10 years ago showed that 78% of autoimmune diseases are in women, and about 8% of the population has an autoimmune disease. And, you know, our Western model tries to like dissect uh, biomedical um, reasons for that. Oh, well, there's this gene in women, or there's this chromosome, etc. But we don't look at the larger scale of the effect of stress. And, you know, women culturally for thousands of years have been the, the people that we go to, the, the bringers of life, the givers of life. Um, often in many Aboriginal cultures, particularly in Australia, they're the, you know, kind of uh, head of the, of, the, of the tribe. Like they're the most important, most compassionate, um, most magical beings. And they have to take all of the stress of their families, of their partner, who probably is, you know, uh, traditionally as a, as a man in modern society, not very emotionally um, connected with themselves. So you just look at the effects of stress, the need to numb. And then rather than asking why the vice, why the pain, I feel like is such an important thing to, to focus on in any, any conversation, if it's your sister, your mother, your brother, your partner, your client, uh, your yoga student, whoever it is, it's just, are you okay? And let's have a conversation about that. I'm yeah. here to support you. Yeah, no, I think those are absolutely incredible questions to be asking. I think that those are the, the most poignant things for us to focus on when it comes to our, our health right now that you're saying that I, I did you know that, I mean, I'm sure you know this, that heart disease is the number one killer for women. And I think about that as yes, like, you know, I, I think about just all of the things, you know, the things that we're putting in our body, the thoughts we're mm. having, the psycho-spiritual, mm. uh, our psycho-spiritual health 
Um, I just did this big, um, I don't know if you've read this, but Dr. Sadehi, um, wrote this book called the, the clarity cleanse. And he talks a lot about the psycho spiritual elements of, you know, purging the things that are really ailing us, you know, not necessarily mm. the foods, but be able to, uh, express and exercise all of the things that we're holding on to from childhood or, or thought patterns, all of these things, like the things that you're asking, those real questions is what happened? How are you still ho holding on to it? How does it affecting your body? You know, the whole idea of issues mm. are in our tissues and being able to utilize things like good nourishing foods, good supplements, good movement, um, you know, I, I think that for me, movement, which is what came later when I started my journey was really uncomfortable for me. I didn't like my meat sack, you know, that's a little bit right. extreme, but it's like, I did not, <laughs> I didn't, um, I didn't like, I didn't like feeling in my skin. So, mm. um, it, it just was really difficult for me to get embodied. So practicing yoga asana, uh, it took a while for me to actually do it. I took years, probably about three or four years for me to actually get into it because I was so uncomfortable with the movement, you know, mm, I was so uncomfortable yeah, with even and, breathing, you know. And like you say, feeling in your body, you know, the, the state of feeling embodied um, is a subtle difference from how you look at yourself, but whenever I've felt disconnected from uh, that sacredness within me, I have every single time felt disembodied. Um, you know, it, I'm not saying that you need movement uh, to create that sacredness. You know, if you look at Buddhist monks who sit all day and, and meditate and create that connection, like it's possible. But uh, for me, my personal path and choice is always to include mindful movement um, in saying that I'm not, you know, on a yoga cliff, sorry, on a cliff, uh, in my yoga pants, doing three hours of yoga a day. That'd be ideal. <laughs> I mean, um, it's the dream, but I'm not doing that either, I, but continue. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, what I, what I value in life is, is my connection to my body and, and loving my body. And, you know, right now I have a little COVID belly and it's beautiful and I love it. And I've enjoyed all kinds of uh, great American food over the last year um, with my lovely fiance's family. But, you know, I'm, I'm in a state, I'm in a state where I'm so stoked about my body and, you know, what's so much more important to me than like exactly where different lines on my body are or where I don't have visceral fat or whatever is just, how I feel when I'm moving. And mm. I absolutely love surfing. I love uh, trail running. I love getting oh. out into the pine forest and just like bombing it down a trail and just being so present to where my feet are so that I don't roll my ankle or do something worse. But, you know, feeling in your body is arguably one of the most important first steps. Um, you know, if you're looking at the koshas, for instance, Anamaya kosha mm -hmm. um, is that outer layer. And then you go deeper and deeper pranamaya and uh, and so on into uh, Anandamaya or bliss. And I really enjoyed learning about the koshas um, through yoga because it just made sense to me that, you know, we aren't separated uh, like we're taught in our Western biomedical model. Um, you know, everything within me is one and everything within me and everything around is one. And 
the problem is with our current system of medicine is that we don't acknowledge that, uh, you know, unlike, uh, for instance, Chinese medicine, which directly acknowledges that the elements are impacting various channels in our body, um, as does Ayurvedic science as well. So, you know, the reductionistic view, which began, you know, 300, 400 years, years ago, when an animist dissected the body for the first time and found different connection points, which I've, you know, spent so much time learning. Um, I have to kind of unlearn that now, uh, which is a beautiful process and just embrace that fullness, that oneness. And the fact that I don't need to add anything to my body. I don't need to take a drug. I don't need to uh, be a certain way or kick a football <laughs> a certain distance. Yeah. Um, although it is, it is fun, but you know, I am who I am right now and I'm beautiful and, and, and so is everyone, regardless of the choices and decisions they're making. Unfortunately, it, it takes a lot. And it, it, every day it's a, you know, I, I often think back to the Bhagavad Gita, like it is a battle um, sometimes. Like, I feel like it's been messy. I've been crawling, like I said earlier, through the mud, like, you know, mud on my face. Like, I felt like, you know, I was the only person in the world sometimes in my darkest days who knew what I was going through. And it was like, I would sometimes wake up just crying like it was and I had no real traumatic reason in the past um you know I'd had a very privileged life but the way that I'd consistently spoken to myself over time mm -hmm. and like you you spoke about the consistent sympathetic activation in the yeah. body the fight or flight or freeze and the fact that like the animals that freeze in Peter Levine's Waking the Tiger or yes. you know, uh, if you read Be Bessel van der Kolk those incredible oh. Two of my favorites are right, right here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I got them right there. They're, yeah. They're the, I absolutely love those books. And um, yeah, just to remember that the nervous system has a role and its role is to cleanse and to come back to homeostasis. And we aren't often supporting people in society to do that. We tell them to be quiet. A baby cries, we leave it alone. Or, you know, we tell it to shut up, be quiet. Um, and we impose our own insecurities and our own deficiencies on the next generation, unless we compassionately and lovingly embark on our own conscious journey. Yeah. And, you know, the amazing thing is so many people, you know, are doing that these days. You are obviously doing that. I've done that for a long time and you're helping people do that, you know, every day. So it's such a special thing that you do. Um, but yeah, when you're on that journey, you don't need, to numb anymore. I mean, it's always going to rear its head. Like you said, the beast. Um, I don't know if you've read Dr. Gabor Mate's books, the realm of the oh, hungry yes. ghost, which is a Buddha. Yeah. I haven't read but it, it, but it I does have feel it. like that. Yeah. Oh, dive into that. That's oh. a, that's a gem. It's one of those it's, that um, I got a long time ago and I haven't gotten into. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think you'd really enjoy it. Um, it's just, an amazing breakdown of the stories behind addiction and the neuroscience and the way that, you know, we should approach um, the so-called in bunny is addict mm -hmm. as a human being, as someone who has most likely in some form had trauma and, you know, understanding that trauma is not necessarily the event, but the effect of the event on the nervous system, on the behavioral patterns, on the thoughts that we have of ourselves. Yes. Um, it's certainly certainly involves the, the event, but, you know, even neurologically, if you are, and it's, it's a 
we don't have to go into talk therapy because that's really an interesting discussion about whether you heal through the body or heal through narrative. Um, they've shown that certain areas in the brain, when you're talking about a trauma, uh, like Rodman's area um, in the frontal cortex, it lights up as the almost as if the trauma is happening right now again. So it's a really complicated, a really complicated science, a really complicated approach, but it must start with the simplicity of unconditional love for anyone who is going through a tough time, not judging, oh. not like casting them to the edge of society or putting them in jails, um, which is quite often the end result of someone who's going through heavy addiction. Um, it's, it's of extending a loving hand and just saying like, and as a society saying, how can we include all people um, in this prosperity, not just the ones that have the easiest path. And uh, yes. yeah, that, that gets me pretty fired up. So. Oh no, I love that. Um, That's so great. I'm so, I'm so excited to just continue to have more conversations with you about this. I think it's a topic that mm. is so poignant, especially after the crazy year that we had in 2020 and mm. just the beginning of this year. I'm so, so grateful that you joined us for this very special episode. Mm. I have one question for you, uh, final question. I know we just had such a casual conversation, but that was kind of what I wanted to do anyway. Um, I'm, awesome. I'm, I'm curious uh, for you, what being that you've overcome quite a bit of adversity and, and gone through your own trials and tribulations of life and just this crazy year, what is the one thing that you are going to focus on for this year, if it's different from any other year? Well, I was talking about this very topic uh, with my fiance last night, um, more, more reframed into the question of what is your word of the year, which I love that question. Yes. And if, um, if the last few years have been about reviving myself, like literally putting kind of the, uh, you know, pads on myself and kickstarting my life without a vice. Um, this year is all about rediscovering myself because when you uh, step, step out into that journey of sobriety, and again, not just abstaining from something, but actually exploring and compassionately inquiring into why you feel the need to numb. Um, there's certainly a long period of survival, which I feel like I've just been surviving for a long time, but I truly feel, and I'm blessed to say that I am now stepping into a chapter of thriving and of rediscovering who I am. Um, you know, that's a constant ebb and flow, but of rediscovering how I can show up and serve the world, um, of rediscovering how I can help other people see the inherent sacredness within them, um, of just of just feeling alive and of getting out into nature and of having groups of people come together and discuss and chat and love. Um, it's going to look, you know, very different as the year progresses. I'm currently uh, semi stuck in California without being able to go back to Australia and have been for about a year now, um, but very much supported by a beautiful family over here. And I'm just excited. I'm super excited. And to say that after a couple of years ago, being, you know, in an apartment by myself, 10 joints down in the day, trying to literally smoke myself to death, um, you know, it just, just to get to the point where I feel excited to live is an absolute miracle. Um, and I don't know if, if people resonate with that, but for me, that like gives me goosebumps because, you know, I've been in that place where day in, day out, month in, month out, 
I have not wanted to live. I've been in that place where I literally was about to throw it away, you know, and it's not a laughing matter. It's a really scary place when you're scared to be inside your head. There's nowhere in the world in the world you can go to escape that. So rediscovery, it's all about that this year. And I'm super, super excited about it. Oh, I'm so, so grateful that we had this conversation. I think it's definitely one that I wish we can have every day because it's a discussion that I think many people resonate with. I'm so, so grateful for you. Thank you for joining us for the special episode, Darcy. And for the people that are listening to this, where can they go for more information if they want to connect with you and learn more about what you do? Sure. And first of all, thank you so much for providing this space because like I said, you do beautiful work and just listening to your podcast inspires me and so many other people. So thank you so much for what you put out into the world. Um, if folks are keen to, to check in and catch up, I'm at DarcySubbings.com, uh, D-A-R-C-Y-S-T-U-B-B-I-N-G-S.com. Um, however, I'm just about to launch a membership of folks uh, to help them reclaim their life without their vice. And that's called Wheels in Motion. Uh, so you can find a link on my website, um, but also Instagram, Wheels in Motion, uh, spelled W-H-E-E-L-S in, and then motion is with ocean because I've always grown up next to the beach. I love surfing. Oh, the ocean I has been a lifesaver. So it's I love motion it. with the ocean in it, if that makes sense. That is awesome. Yeah. So great. I love the ocean too. <laughs> so that is wheels in motion. Ah, oh, I love it. So we'll put the links for yes, all of those yes. in the show notes. So be sure to check that out. And thank you all for listening. I hope that you guys are enjoying this year, 2021. Here we go. Let's make it our, you know what? Hey everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us, message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes, write a review. We love doing this. So please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening.